There has never been a more important time to make a difference and create better lives. I'm Andrew Liveris, former chairman and chief executive officer of the Dow Chemical Company and the former executive chairman of Dow DuPont. In this podcast series, you will hear from one of our Liveris Academy scholars interviewing a leader they identified as being important to them. My name is Asandi Kaligalagay, and I'm a Liveris Scholar studying electrical engineering. In this podcast, I'm exploring the importance of having women in positions of influence and discussing female leadership during the COVID-19 crisis. Sharing her insights as a female leader heading one of Australia's oldest universities, we are very fortunate to hear from Professor Deborah Terry, the new Vice-Chancellor of UQ. So to get us started, I would love to hear a bit about yourself and your transition from the School of Psychology to a major leadership position. Well, thank you, Asandi, and I'm delighted to be able to participate in in this podcast this morning. I came to the University of Queensland uh, first in 1990 as a postdoc. So I'd undertaken my PhD at ANU and came up here as soon as I'd finished uh, as, as a postdoctoral research fellow in the School of Psychology. And then I had I, I often describe as a decade where I had a wonderful time teaching and researching and supervising postgraduate students, uh, working with my colleagues in uh, a centre, research centre, uh, focusing on researching uh, on group processes and intergroup relations. So it was a wonderful time. And then I moved into leadership positions within the school and then uh, I think, you know, gradually made the transition into leading the faculty and then other leadership positions within the university. And I think what I found was that although I loved my own field and I loved university teaching and research, being in positions where I was able to influence, in in, in a sense, the opportunities for others, I found incredibly rewarding. And to be in a position, in positions that were not so much in my own field, but were around ensuring that our universities and University of Queensland continue to offer wonderful experiences for students, wonderful opportunities for our researchers, our industry partnerships, and ensuring that our universities like ours continue to be successful. Amazing, amazingly rewarding. Yeah, that does sound really amazing. So I guess was becoming the Vice-Chancellor something you expected at the start of your career or becoming into such an important leadership position? No, I certainly (laughs) didn't expect it at all. I think early on in my career, I was very focused in on ensuring that uh, my research program received funding and I was able to attract postgraduate students and, and other researchers to work with me and that I was able to collaborate on uh, the issues that I was really focused on as, as, as a researcher. So yes, I, I think back to my earlier self, I would not have imagined I would be here yeah. uh, today, but it's, it's, it's uh, a great privilege. Yeah, that is awesome. So to become the Vice-Chancellor and to get into such an important leadership position, you'd have to have quite a good leadership style and like a unique leadership style. So how would you describe your leadership style and how do you think that's contributed to your success? Um, It's always hard to describe one's own leadership style. I guess I'm, 
you know, my view is that leaders absolutely have to be values-led in, in, in terms of everything that you do. So I'll often refer back to my own personal values, but also the values of the institution. But I think it is around being accessible. You know, I think we're a large and complex institution, as are all of our universities. So it's being able to, in a sense, work with, with, with my colleagues to ensure that we understand where we're going in the future, what are the, you know, what are the broad strategic imperatives, communicating those, but also being very responsive and open to two-way communication. I always say when I'm out uh, talking to colleagues that I'll answer any question. I'm really keen to make sure I understand what the issues are in particular parts of our university for particular groups of staff and, and that not only do I understand them, but I can hear them and I can seek to respond to them as much as possible. So for me, it's about communication, it's about accessibility, it's about being able to articulate what are the challenges and what are the, what, what are the broad ways forward for us as an institution, but always coming back to what are universities here for? What are our values? You know, we're here to do three things. We teach and educate the leaders of the, of the future. We research and we engage in research and we enrich the communities in which we're embedded. And as long as we've got that clear understanding of why we're here and we keep coming back to that mission and our values, I think, in, in a sense, leaders, and there's many leaders at UQ, are then in a position to to hopefully ensure the continued strength of this great university. And I think a really interesting thing you mentioned there was the two-way communication, because it's not only about enforcing your strategies and your views, but listening. And I think that's something really important as well. So going kind of along the same route, Coming out of this whole COVID situation, there's been some media attention and research into whether female heads of state have handled the COVID situation more effectively than male leaders. Is this something you agree with? Do you see some sort of correlation or why do you think this is? Oh, it's an interesting observation that has been made. I mean, I think my broad view would be the leaders who have been successful through this enormous crisis and these extraordinary times have been the leaders that can articulate very much the challenges and why changes need to be made, why particular actions need to be taken, but are able to articulate that, are able to ensure that there is a very systematic plan for how it's going to be dealt with. So all the tracking and the tracing and the communication and the education and just consistency, being able to stay on top of it, but also to have empathy, to understand the impact, to be able to um, respond to that, that, that two-way communication. It is the listening and the empathy, which I think will often, I guess, distinguish those leaders who are successful during these periods and or are more successful during, during periods such as this. Yes, definitely. And this idea of the decency quotient and emotional intelligence is something we're also discussing in the Libris Academy and really highlighting how we can work on that given the 
government situations that we've seen and how different world leaders have handled it. So besides a moral obligation, why do you think it's important to increase the representation of females in leadership positions? Well, it's absolutely a moral obligation, but it is always, as, as, as people often argue, it makes no sense to exclude 50% of the population from you know, consideration for board leadership positions. But also, I think we know from a lot of leadership research over many years that the best leadership groups, the best board, corporate boards, the best executive teams are diverse that you've got diverse experiences, you've got diverse ways of approaching issues, you've got diverse ways of interacting with others, that the more diversity you have around your board table, the more successful the board and, and ultimately the company is or the institution is. So for me, that goes to absolutely to the core of why it's important to have very, you know, appropriate gender balance around our, our corporate tables, our executive tables, but it also goes to the importance of actually, you know, if we think in the Australian context, that we've got also appropriate breadth in terms of background and experiences in addition to gender around all of our leadership groups. Yeah, it's about all sorts of diversity. All sorts yep. of diversity, absolutely. I think I have noticed that even working in like teams myself, that if you have a, like a diverse range of opinions and perspectives, it does lead to more productivity and like a better functioning team, I think as well. It does, and I think it leads, and I think there's lots of evidence from, from the leadership li literature, it actually leads to better decisions, that more options are put on the table, more debate as to whether this is the right way to go, you know, you get less what we call groupthink, that people explore different ideas, different you know, opinions are, are expressed, and ultimately that leads to better decisions. We live in a time of very considerable change and challenge. It's really important that we are making the right decisions with the right evidence, with the right opinions around the table, the right voices around the table that are heard all those voices need to be heard because ultimately that will mean that we're best positioned to make th those right decisions. And, you know, the decisions we make today will affect this institution in five years' time, in 10 years' time, 20 years' time. So we've got that responsibility. And you have to have a good representation of the population mm. at the table, which mm. I think you've said well. Yeah. So having spent many years in the tertiary education sector, what further steps do you think that businesses and governments can take to increase gender diversity in executive positions? Obviously, you know, many, many mechanisms and, you know, universities absolutely play a key role. I mean, quotas is one way and we've seen that operate, I think, quite effectively, particularly uh, through governments because they will often put in place quotas. The other thing is, you know, the annual reports in terms of on the corporate boards, the AS, boards of ASX listed companies, just what the gender representation is on, on their boards. But I think more than that, and if you look at University of Queensland as a very large and complex institution, we need to look through that lens at every layer of our organisation. 
you know, we must ensure that when we put selection committees together, whether those selection committees are for scholarships, whether they're for, um, you know, selecting students into particular courses, whether they're to hire a new professor or a new head of school, you must have appropriate gender representation and diversity in all of those committees and all of our, around all of our leadership teams and executive teams and governance teams, we need to make sure that we've got the right diversity. And then what we've got a responsibility to do is to provide our early career staff, whether they're academic or professional staff, our students, our aspiring leaders with opportunities to be exposed to role models, to be mentored, but it's not just mentoring, it's sponsorship. It's sponsorship, putting people forward for the kinds of experiences they need and doing everything we can to support all of our, and I'll just talk about staff at the moment, all of our staff who aspire to leadership positions that we, we recognise their talent, we recognise their ambition and aspiration and we support all of them across the board and, and we know that we need to do that more with females than with males, that females will maybe less likely to put themselves forward, maybe less likely to receive that critical sponsorship for opportunity. So we have to be absolutely vigilant to ensure that we're doing everything we can to support the next generation of leaders irrespective of whether they're male or female. I think we're getting much better at it, but, but there is still more to do. And I think even as an engineering student in like a predominantly male-dominated degree, it's really good to see programs like Women in Engineering and like the Ladies in Technology Society and different things like that that show like the role models you were talking about before, mm. for myself even, not going into a leadership position, mm. but in mm. my career, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely, Asandi. I mean, those, those sorts of groups, as you've described them, particularly in fields like engineering, are incredibly powerful. When I've, I've just come back from uh, six and a half years in, in Western Australia, and there was a very, very impactful group called Women in Mining. And it was amazing when used to, you know, I used to go to their annual events and their development days and I mean it was so many people there and there were so many stories of that group having an impact on women in the resources sector not only university graduates but also apprentices and trainee positions absolutely brilliant so you know women in engineering as you say ladies in technology these groups really have an impact and and uh, you know I applaud them be good one day when we don't need them anymore but at the moment, uh, they're, they're, yeah, they do fantastic work. And I think even when I was in like primary school, it was good to see programs like RoboGirls and things like that come in and show that girls can do technology, mm. everything. Just giving women a little bit of a heads up that you can do it. Absolutely. I was at the Women in STEM Prizes event yesterday, Queensland Government event. It was a great event and it's a great scheme and as somebody said at that event, you can't be what you can't see. So our, you know, young females, young girls can't aspire to something that they they don't see, that there's no role models for, there's no clear pathways to get there. And so it was just, it was a very, very good reminder 
of the importance of those of of, of role models, and um, it was a great event, and it was great to see two UQ staff from IMB win two out of the three awards. Um, fantastic. It's amazing. So, yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> Finally, as a highly successful female heading a major executive team, have you got any advice for young women who are aspiring leaders in their careers? Absolutely. Never doubt yourself. Take advantage of opportunities. They'll often seem scary. They'll often sort of be outside of your comfort zone but take advantage of them because that's a great way of, of learning. It's a great way of building that set of experiences that you do need, need if you're going to go into broader leadership positions. It's a great way of kind of networking and meeting others. It's, it's kind of scary, but my advice would be you can do anything that you aspire to do and seek support, seek advice, but take advantage of opportunities even if they, you know, you don't feel that you're perhaps as equipped as you might be. Everybody feels like that, but it's really important. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just about taking that extra step and believing that you can do it. Believing that you can do it and, you know, seeking advice along the way, seeking support from other females, other males who have trodden that path. It's amazing how much people do want to mentor and provide advice and support but but it's taking advantage of those opportunities and and also I think having having a clear sense of what you might need to do for the next step you know having a sense of well I've, 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 I've gotten to this point this is where I want to get to well what do I need to be focused on in all careers you know there's so much that needs to be done but thinking through well I'm you know, this is my next step. I really, this is an area where I haven't got quite as much experience as perhaps I need. And so I'm really going to focus on that or I'm going to talk to my mentors about how I can have access to some of those experiences. Yeah, thank you. That's really good advice. And I think it's the networking and mentoring that you were talking about that makes the biggest difference, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it makes a huge difference. And believing in yourself, but also being you know not seeing it as weakness if you ask for advice or or support or suggestions because people really do want to help is my experience but it's 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 easier if you're talking to a mentee and they say look you know I've been worried about how to deal with this what advice might you give me or what what ways might I be better equipped in the future and so it's not a sign of weakness at all it's actually a sign of doing everything you should do to position yourself for for future success that's really good advice i think i'll take a lot away from that as well so thank you professor terry for giving up your time today it was such an honor to be able to speak to you and i'm sure everyone would be delighted to listen to what you had to say well thank you asandi and uh, all the very best for your study and i'll look forward to seeing you at many liveris academy events thank you